This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Mark Richter with another episode of Linux for the Layman. Want to feel safe, secure, and capable when using your computer? This is for you if you want to succeed and know you can handle your computer tasks with ease. Happy New Year! It's 2024. We said goodbye to 2023 for me yesterday, which was a New Year's Day. Today is January 2nd. I'm happy to note that it's taken me less than three months to come up with another episode for you folks. I hope you're happy about that too. In giving a brief listen to my last episode, it was about shell variables and tab completion and how that works. One of the things that I noticed for myself, and I've been noticing a lot lately for what I do on the computer, is I like to shortcut things. That's much harder in a GUI than it is on the command line. In a GUI, you have to move the mouse and click on something. Usually it's in roughly the same place as it was before, unless you're selecting a piece of what's on your screen or doing graphics. Point and click is how they work. And if you have a relatively small screen and a decent mouse, that's very convenient and it can be very fast. I have no issues with that. I use the mouse all the time. In fact, recently I had to use a mouse pad on the laptop that I was giving away as a gift and I found myself wanting to spend almost no time prepping the laptop for being the gift because I didn't want to go to the trouble of plugging in a mouse but I had to put up with the idiosyncrasies of the mouse pad. In my opinion a mouse is a better piece of machinery for doing input than a mouse pad will ever be. The only advantage to a mouse pad is it's right there and you can move your finger around on it and have a reasonable amount of control, assuming, of course, that your fingers work excellently well. Mine have been giving me troubles lately. That's all beside the point. Even with a good mouse and a good mouse pad, I will still go back to the command line to do most of everything I want to do on the computer because most of it 
gets done more easily from the keyboard for me. I don't have to hunt around to find where the mouse is because sometimes I have trouble finding it on the screen. And if I want to use it where it is, moving it to find out where it is is not effective. The keyboard is always in the same place. It always has the same keys. And I use a lot of shortcuts on the keyboard. Some of you probably have issues with using the command line because it's complicated. I agree, it is. It can be made more easy, but in general it is complicated. This morning I was reading about a new version of Linux uh, that's available, it's called Rhino Linux. And it's a, a nice new interface that's relatively easy for someone from Windows to move into. And it talks about all the things that you can do on Linux under Rhino. I haven't looked at it even though I did download it to see what it looks like. I also downloaded the latest version of Linux Mint because I hear that's also excellent. And I have used Mint briefly before. I wouldn't make it my main OS, but that's because I have a long history with Linux and I don't need to be spoon-fed the various pieces. One thing I noted about Rhino Linux is that it does not have a GUI software installer yet. It's all done by the command line. They have upped facility of using it by creating their own. I think it's called Rhino Get. And it's semi-intelligent. You don't have to know the exact command you want to issue. You can tell Rhino Get install and give it something like LibreOffice and it will give you a listing of all the available versions of LibreOffice and tell you which actual package manager will be used to install it. You select it from a numbered list and it does the rest of the work. I think that's pretty neat. However, I have a long history of familiarity with Linux. Being spoon-fed is not something I need and they do not spoon-feed you from the command line. It's tricky to do that in the first place. It's a lot of extra work and frankly GUIs are better for that. If you need to be spoon-fed things or even if you're moderately familiar but you want to see what you're going to be doing, the GUI is a better option. If you want the power of the command line, which is pretty much behind everything that happens in a GUI anyway, it's worth learning. And there are ways to make it easier to use. And this is where shortcuts come in. Command line shortcuts, particularly in Bash, which is the standard Linux shell that goes out with, I think, pretty much all distributions, has numerous shortcut capabilities built in. There are Bash scripts, which for the uninitiated means programming the bane of users. Just joking. Yes, anytime you script something, you're programming the computer. Well, technically you're not programming the computer. You're telling Bash what to do with the computer and Bash will follow your instructions to the letter, just like any other computer program. And I may talk about that in the second half of this podcast. There are aliases and functions. Aliases are just ways of renaming commands. For example, 
I've used this before, I'll say it again. The rsync command, which is a fantastic copy-paste application for moving things around in Linux. What it does is it copies files from here to there. Here and there can be on the same computer, they can be on different computers, they can be across the internet. rsync doesn't care. What matters is that the computer at the other end has to be running the rsync service, called a daemon, in order for you to be able to use rsync. And rsync is an incredibly powerful command that has more options in it than I care to look at. I believe the last time I looked it was five pages of options. That's a lot to have to deal with. And then you need to understand what the options do to be able to make good use of them. I have found there's a certain specific set of options that I want to use every single time I run rsync, no matter what. And I talked about them a little bit previously. I wrote an alias for calling the rsync command with those options built in. The alias is called rsavp. rs for rsync, a for archive, v, I forget what that stands for, and p, show me the progress of each transfer as it's going on. This is how I copy files from one of my computers to another one. It's how I copy files from my computer to a USB drive in it. It's a great program for two reasons. One is it will copy only if the other end has an older version. And there are also complications of that. We can talk about that another time. And if it's already over there or if the copy on the other computer is newer, rsync is smart enough to say, oh, that one's newer, I'm not going to do it. The same or newer. That's an example of an alias. Another alias I use frequently is the exit command. This is for closing a terminal window. So when I'm done with that window, I can say X enter and that's it. It's gone. I don't have to type in EXIT. Shortcuts. Aliases are shortcuts for things you do commonly that are always exactly the same. The rsync command is handy. I can put other options after my rsync alias that will apply to the rsync command because that's just part of what the alias does. It takes the command as defined in the alias and adds whatever's on the command line after it. Functions are handy for two things. One is more complicated aliases that involve a lot of checks and switches that may be easier to do in a function rather than an alias. And it also allows you to substitute what follows the function on the command line at different places in the command that is executed or the commands that are executed by the function. I'm getting a little esoteric here. I'll cover more of that in a minute. I'm going to make a break here, and then we'll come back with part two, more shortcuts and more about functions. Before I get into more on functions, I wanted to address a couple of emails that I received, requests for information that people want. One person wanted me to go into detail about the LAMP stack. I'm not going to do that for two reasons. One is, from my 
research on the web, the explanations they give are pretty good. You can find what the LAMP stack is and what it involves using your favorite web search application. LAMP stands for Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP, I think. Linux, of course, is the operating, is the base level operating system. Apache is the network service for servers, in particular. MySQL is a an open source database program that's actually lately been superseded by PostgreSQL. The M is used as a generic abbreviation for any of the databases you happen to choose. And P is PHP, which is for programming the website itself. It also could stand for Perl or Python, both of which are equally capable. I've used most of those pieces. They're not areas of my most intimate familiarity, and as I just said, you do a quickie web search and you can find good information on that. The second question was how to install Debian without a USB. What you need to do is download the Debian network installation image and run that. I believe you can do that directly, as in you can run the image directly. I'm not 100% sure of that because I've never done it myself. But you can upgrade or install Linux using the web and you don't need specifically a USB drive for it. It's possible that you have to have something like a, a CD or a DVD if you're not going to use USB. You have to have a separate medium because typically to install from these media you have to boot from that medium and in order to do that CD, a DVD or a USB drive are crucial. I will look into that and expound on it further depending on what I find. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Going back to functions. A shell function is similar in many ways to a script. You give the function a name, fill in the body of the function, which is a series of commands that are all executed, given no conditions that interrupt the flow of execution, and then they terminate. The advantages to functions over aliases are that there are a few things you simply can't do in aliases. For example, if you have an alias that says, if you have an alias that says, do a listing in reverse time order, I call mine LRT, and it's defined as LS space dash RT, which means list files in reverse time order, oldest to newest. This is handy because, for example, 
I have a lot of files in my downloads directory. Some of them are sitting there because I've been too lazy to move them. And some of them are sitting there because they're recent downloads. And I'd like to be able to see what the more recent ones are. I also have aliases for listing just the last five lines of the ls-rt output and one that I can specify how many specific lines I want. The point being though, I can add something after the LRT. It doesn't have to be the current directory. I can say LRT space dollar docs. That will list my documents directory in reverse time order. That's something I really don't want to do. My documents directory has three or four thousand files in it. And I have 20 or 30 subdirectories of documents that I've mentioned before. Things like recipes, receipts, records, and that's where shell variables and tab completion come in handy. But what you can't do, for example, is LRT some directory name and give it an option. Say I, I want to do a, an LRT and find out how many lines there were. I can do LRT pipe, that's the vertical bar, WC-L, word count dash L, which means tell me how many lines there are. That works, but if I want to do LRT dollar docs pipe WC-L, that can't be done as an alias because the dollar docs is not the same every time I want to execute it. I can create a function to do that. Say the function is LRTC list reverse time count and the function would look like lrtc open parenthesis close parenthesis which tells the shell executing it this is a function open brace that's the curly bracket ls dat space dash rt dollar star pipe wc dash l semicolon, close curly brace. What did I just say? That tells the shell this is a function that is to execute ls-rt on whatever parameter is passed in or parameters are passed in and pipe the result of that to the word count application. You cannot do that in an alias because it changes what command is executed depending on what that parameter is. But functions are ideally suitable for that. You could do other things with functions like put in conditional switches that let you look for specific patterns or exclude specific patterns. Any kind of change to the straightforward flow of the command you can put that into a function. There are some very handy functions. I believe I wrote one recently for converting MP4s to MKVs. MP4 is an MPEG type 4, typically used for videos. MKVs are a completely different format that are frequently much smaller and better compression without any loss of precision. But this function doesn't just convert the MP4 to, M to MKV. It then looks at the result and says, which one's bigger? Oh, 
the MKV is bigger, throw it out. Oh, the MP4 is still bigger, throw it out. So I now have the result of that conversion in whichever format is smaller. Now you may be going, what is he talking about? If you've ever recorded a video with a camcorder, something you may find is that typically those MP4 files that the camcorder produces are enormous. I typically see anywhere from a 50 to a 90% reduction just by reprocessing the MP4 into another MP4. Now I've been told that loses precision and it's entirely possible it does. I contend that the precision it loses is indistinguishable to the average eye. But the MKV files are much smaller. I actually wrote that function because I had hundreds of MP4s and I wanted to save some disk space. I have 8 terabytes of disk space and you may be thinking, if he's got 8 terabytes, why does he need to save any disk space? Well, I need to save disk space because, as I said, I've got hundreds of these things. And I actually managed to save a couple hundred megabytes by converting all the MP4s that were smaller as MKV, MKVs into MKV files. MKV, by the way, stands for Matroska Video. It was created by someone who gave it that name, and it used to be a proprietary format, but he was nice enough a few years back to make it publicly available, and the program I use for processing this thing, FFmpeg, can now produce output in MKV format. If you have not looked at the FFmpeg command, you might want to take a look at it. It can convert from any one video format into any other video format, except it will not rip a DVD. A DVD movie is in a completely different layout. It's not compressed, and there are programs that will rip a DVD, make a copy of it in MP4 format or some other single file format, which can then be processed by FFmpeg for maximum compression. FFmpeg can also be used for extracting sound from video files. It produces WAV files or FLAC files or MP3 files. You name it, FFmpeg can pretty much do it. There was a problem with it recently. That there was a security issue, and it's all fine now. And I've pretty much bent your ear long enough today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please let me know. If there's a question you have that I didn't answer or that I could answer, you can email me, linuxforthelayman at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this or you learned something and you think it's worthwhile, please share it with your friends and send me some money. It doesn't hurt. The show is free. You can learn free. And if it's worth it, if it's worth your time to listen to, let me know how much it's worth. See you next time on Linux for the Layman. Bye for now.